Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ruth. I'm going to look at the first chapter, a wonderful book that talks about how God fills up the emptiness of a particular woman named Naomi. We find out in the section we're going to read how she got into that situation of emptiness. Uh, We're going to read uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and then jump over to 18 through 22, part of the chapter that focuses on Naomi. The middle chapter actually focuses on Ruth uh, and how she makes a commitment to Naomi, uh, and actually there's a confession there that uh, she commits herself also to the God of Israel. But our focus this morning is on Naomi. So let's give our attention to the reading of the Word of God beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahlon and Kilion died. So that the the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Over to verse 18, where there's a discussion in the middle of the chapter. Naomi's trying to get the daughters-in-law to go back to Moab. Uh, But as... uh, We see here uh, Ruth decided to go with her. And so, verse 18, when Naomi saw that she, Ruth, was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray. Father, your word is sharp, powerful than any two-edged sword. We pray this morning that you would do heart surgery on us, that we would be open to what your word says, and that you would accomplish in your people today your purposes for your glory and our good, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It's difficult to change directions. Isn't that what the law of inertia states? 
If a body is moving in a straight line at a constant speed, it will continue to move in a straight line at a constant speed until it is acted upon by some kind of force. I think there's a spiritual principle here. It's easy for our spiritual lives to begin moving in a direction that might not be the best for us. And if we don't see the the danger signs, we may continue to move in that direction until we are acted upon by a force, God, either directly or indirectly. The reality is our spiritual lives do not always move in a direction toward God. As someone has said, people and institutions do not drift to the right. We have that battle going on within ourselves of that fallen nature. So we must be intentional about our relationship with God because that indwelling nature of sin continues to pull us away from God. It's possible for a Christian to find themselves in a spiritual mess. Slow, subtle changes can take place in our lives leading to actions that may not be that, dishon- that, may not be that honoring to God. It doesn't take a lot to drift away from the Lord to find yourself in a situation, how in the world did I get into this mess? We see this pattern in the family of Elimelech in Ruth chapter 1. They make a bad decision as a family. On the surface, it may look like a wise decision, but spiritually, it is a bad decision. It raises the question, how do you keep from making bad spiritual decisions? But, even more to the point of this passage, what do you do when the decision you've made ends up in a mess? One thing this passage teaches us is that we can always turn back to God. And the reason we can always turn to God is because He is sovereignly at work in our lives in every situation. Every situation. He is sovereignly at work in our lives. And he's at work to bring us back to himself. He's at work to bring us to a place of repentance. And so how does God work to bring us to repentance? That's what we see here in this chapter. Amazingly enough, God sovereignly works through our disobedience to show us our need of repentance. He works through our disobedience to show us Our need of repentance. This is what we see in the first five verses of Ruth chapter 1. As we read verses 1 through 5, a major question confronts us. Maybe you didn't think about it, but it is a good question. Was it wrong for this family to move to Moab? That's the question. Was it wrong for this family to leave Judah and to move to Moab? The text does not answer this question directly. No direct comment is made about this move to Moab. But there are hints, clear hints in the text that this family is moving in the wrong direction, moving in the wrong spiritual direction. This can easily happen to us. We can easily begin to move spiritually in the wrong direction. It happens when we feel the pressure of disobedience. The pressure of disobedience because of the context in which we live. We see this in verse 1. 
Verse 1 begins by giving the context of this story. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. When you hear about the days of the judges, what do you think of? Positive, God's people obeying the Lord, or negative? Well, the major themes, one of the major themes of the book of Judges stated in Judges chapter 21 verse 25 is that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. So when everyone around you is doing their own thing, it's easy for us to do the same thing. We are influenced by those around us. We are influenced by the culture in which we live. People today are more willing to accept as normal what used to be considered deviant behavior. The general acceptance by society of of certain behaviors that even 30 years ago were rejected shows you the quick trend in our culture toward what Romans 1 calls the exchange, the truth of God for a lie. And then it goes on to talk about the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. The pressure we feel from the culture around us may, may affect the way we think. We must constantly evaluate everything we hear by the truth of Scripture, the pressure of disobedience. When everyone else is doing what is right in their own eyes, certain activities may seem very reasonable. We also see the nature of disobedience in this passage. This is seen in the uh, ironies that occur. Naomi's husband, named Elimelech, His name means, my God is king. That's what his name means, my God is king. But this person named, my God is king, maybe doesn't act like, my God is king. He leaves the land of the king. He leaves the promised land, the land that God had given to his people. They leave Bethlehem to find bread in Moab. You know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. They leave the house of bread, the city called Bethlehem, to find bread in a strange land. These ironies highlight they're not acting in ways that profess what they believe. They're acting in ways that are contrary to what they believe. They're not living out their faith. They're not practicing what they profess. We also see here the dangers of disobedience, the pressure of disobedience, the nature of disobedience, but but the dangers of disobedience in their move away from the land of Judah. Now, you may wonder, why is this so significant? What's the danger of moving? People move all the time in our current context. What's the problem? Well, we need to ask, what did the land mean to God's people in the Old Testament context? The land, the promised land, was a gift given to them by God. It was their inheritance to provide sustenance, a way to support the family, passed on from generation to generation as that land was divided among the tribes and among the clans of Israel. The land was home. Not just physically home, it was spiritually home. To be away from the land was to be away from home. To be away from the land was to be away from God's people. To be away from the land was to be away from God. 
because you're away from the place where his presence dwelt in that tabernacle. They abandoned their spiritual foundation. This is a danger because it's easy to make decisions without considering the spiritual ramifications of those decisions. And so we always need to ask the question, how will this decision affect my spiritual life? How will this decision affect the spiritual life of my family? Those are the important questions. When we don't ask the spiritual questions, it's easy to begin to make decisions based on our wisdom and not on God's wisdom. We easily begin to move away from the Lord. No longer concerned that our lives conform to what we believe. And we can get very comfortable in a situation that's not pleasing to the Lord. I don't know how long this family intended to live in Moab. Maybe just a temporary situation to find some food. But it turned into something more permanent. This family makes a move because of a famine. That's what it says there in in chapter 1, verse 1. There was a famine in the land. The famine gives cover for this family to make this move and to give reasons for it. You know, certainly a man must provide for his family. A man must go where the food is, must go where the jobs are, must go where I can support a family. The famine gives them cover to make a bad decision. But the famine should have made them remember the covenant warning of judgment that God had given to his people. Remember, famines within the promised land were an indication of God's displeasure with his people because of their disobedience. Famine should tell you something's wrong. This goes back to Deuteronomy 27 and 28, where God told his people that when I bring you into the land, if you honor me and obey me, I will pour out blessings upon you in such abundance that you won't be able to believe it. But if you disobey me and you don't honor me, then these judgments will come. Deuteronomy 28 does not specifically mention famine, but it does warn the people that if they disobey God, verse 17, 28, 17, cursed will be your basket and kneading bowl. Verse 23, no rain. I'll withhold the rain from you, God says. The locusts will consume your harvest, verse 38. Your vineyards and olive trees will not produce, verses 39 through 40. And they're in the middle of a famine. Instead of repenting, they rationalize their behavior. Probably had a list, pros and cons, right? Should we move to Moab? Should we not move to Moab? Well, there's there's one con that should probably override all of the pros. And that's the fact that this is the land that God had given to you. And so they move. Some decisions may make sense from a human standpoint, but they still not, may not be good spiritual decisions. This family gets comfortable in Moab. Comfortable enough to allow their sons to marry Moabite women. And that's really significant in the context of the Old Testament. Remember, Abraham felt so strongly about this that he sent one of his trusted servants back to the homeland to find a wife for Isaac so that he would not marry a Canaanite 
You should not intermarry with those within the land. This family did not send their sons back to Israel to get wives. They married Moabite women. The problem is that such women were probably not believers in Yahweh, the God of Israel. They would have worshipped the god Chemosh. Chemosh. Let's be clear, this is not a racial issue. This is a spiritual issue. Many non-Jewish people in the Old Testament become connected to the children of Israel because they believe in the God of Israel. That's the key. In fact, we see in chapter 1, the part we didn't read, that Ruth makes that commitment to the God of Israel. This is a spiritual issue. Not to marry anyone who did not worship the God of Israel. And so they settled down in a foreign land and Naomi was there 10 years. 10 years. They had moved spiritually away from the Lord. They'd become comfortable living away from the presence of the Lord. We can become comfortable with our disobedience. Can comfortable with that spiritual apathy that sometimes comes into our lives. As Christians, when we sort of drift a little bit away from the Lord and we're not really focusing on, on, on what He would have us to do and how we should live for Him. I ran across a list of evidence of spiritual apathy. Maybe prayer ceases to be a vital part of your life. You have few serious thoughts about eternal things. You become uncomfortable with Pointed spiritual discussion, the slight excuse keeps you from worship. There's no music in your soul, no song in your heart. You easily adjust to the style of the world. Being a true believer while moving spiritually in the wrong direction is a very miserable place to be. We're going to see that in Naomi's life, but we're also going to see something else. And this is the second and final point. Okay, just so you're wondering. Um, Not three points today, two points. The second one is that God sovereignly works through the hardships of life to bring us back to Him. He works through the difficulties of life to bring us to a place of repentance if we need to come to that place. There are consequences to our disobedience. Many times hardship or difficulty is the result. It's the way that God pursues us. It's the way that God gets our attention And begins to bring us back to Him. Now, not every hardship we face is a wake-up call. Okay, we need to state that. Not every difficulty in life means that you're drifting away from God. Sometimes when you're really close to God, life can get difficult as well. But we know in this situation, this family has drifted away from God. The hardship of death strikes In verses 3 and 5. Naomi first of all loses her husband Elimelech. And so she's left with her two sons. They then marry Moabite women. And they're there about 10 years. And then both of her sons die. It doesn't say why. Probably shouldn't speculate. But the hardship of death. Naomi loses a husband. She loses two sons. She's left a widow in a foreign land without the means to support herself. This is a very difficult situation for Naomi. She faces a very difficult life because she really has no means of support. But God works through these difficulties to show her that she needs to return to Him. 
Verse 6, she arose. She arose to return. In the difficulties of life, we see our inability to control our lives. We throw ourselves on the mercy of God. I mean, where else does Naomi have to turn? Where else is Naomi going to go but back to the place where the blessing of God may once again be abundantly poured out in her life? She returns. A major theme in this chapter, in fact, the word return occurs 12 times in chapter 1. It's the basic word in the Old Testament for repentance. Naomi moves away from the source of her pain and she moves toward God. She moves away from the disobedience of her family and she moves back to the land of God. She's a picture of repentance. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 87, asks this question, what is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of sin turn from it unto God and with full purpose and endeavor after new obedience. Her life exemplifies this definition. Repentance is a saving grace. God is the one who pursued Naomi to show her the consequences of sin to bring her back to him. She apprehends the mercy of God even there in that foreign land, in the land of Moab. She hears that God has visited his people with food. Verse 6. She turns from her sin back to God, begins moving back toward God, back toward her spiritual home. In verses 20 through 21, she publicly confesses grief over the results of her sin because she recognizes the true nature. When Naomi returns to Bethlehem, verse 19 says that the whole town was stirred because of them. The idea here is that the whole town is in uproar, rejoicing, shouting with joy. Naomi's back. Can you imagine the women there engaging in happy, animated conversations? Is this Naomi? Maybe she puts a bit damper on their joy by reminding them of her serious situation. Verse 20, she says to them, do not call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Pleasant. My situation is not pleasant. No, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. She uses a wordplay here. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. You call me Mara, for the Almighty has marred me. You could bring out the wordplay. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Naomi expresses the hardship she's experienced. Ten years. Ago, I left Bethlehem for the husband, two sons. Now I'm returning with nothing. Of course, she attributes this bitterness to the Lord's doing, but I don't see this as an angry rant. An angry rant against God, blaming Him for all her troubles. I don't see that here. I think this is a recognition on her part of how the Lord works in the lives of His people when we disobey Him and continue to disobey him. Ten years. He puts us in situations that will break us to get us to see our real need for him. This is a recognition of a God who disciplines his people when they go astray for the purpose of bringing them back 
He doesn't abandon Naomi. He won't abandon you. He pursues Naomi. He pursues his people. It's a warning that even though sin may look reasonable and good, it brings negative consequences into your life. This is, as the Shorter Catechism says, this is an expression of grief over sin and a hatred of her sin. This is her true repentance because I think her final statement at the end of verse 21 expresses the true nature of sin. I like the ESV translation of verse 21. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Some translations have here, the Lord afflicted me instead of the Lord has testified against me. Now, I don't have the time, nor is this the place, to go into why I think the ESV is the best translation. I'll just say this. The ESV, the, New King, the King James, the New King James, and the New American Standard Version all translate it this way. Um, the Lord has testified or witnessed against me. Why is this important? It's legal language. It's courtroom language. It shows that Naomi recognizes the true nature of his sin, uh, the true nature of, I'm sorry, her move to Moab. She recognizes her sin in that move. And more than that, it's covenant language because God is acting as a witness against the actions of Naomi and her family because they were in disobedience to God. A witness in leaving the inheritance that God had given to them, a witness in leaving the land where God's special presence dwelt. They left their true spiritual home for a pagan country. One aspect of sin is to neglect your relationship to God, to to leave behind your pursuit of God in pursuit of other things. And sometimes those other things are not bad things. But if those other things take the place of God in your life, then they are bad things. Because God is the only one who should be first in your life. As Naomi has returned to God, she's confessed her sin and she's demonstrated the true nature of her repentance. She testifies that disobedience has consequences. Don't leave your spiritual home. Don't walk away from the place of God's blessings. Don't make God pursue you. It's not easy. The pain does not disappear quickly. But Naomi is moving back to where she belongs. Repentance is worth it because even in the difficulty of return, there is the hope of God's provision. It's important for us to see that when God works to bring us back, He will supply exactly what we need at every stage of the way. The book of Ruth is about how God filled Naomi's emptiness, provided exactly what she needed, and we see this beginning to take place here even in chapter 1. He provided a companion in Ruth. We didn't read that section. Ruth, who turns out to be, chapter 4 it says, better than seven sons. Can't get any better than that. In a culture where sons provide protection and the inheritance. She will be instrumental, Ruth will be, in restoring a family to Naomi. It's all worked out in the rest of the chapter. All the book of Ruth is about restoring the emptiness 
Naomi cannot see all these implications now in her present circumstances, but God is at work. And he'll supply everything that she needs. You notice the last phrase of of verse 22. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi has many needs. A most pressing need is food. That's going to come into play in chapter 2. But the mention of barley harvest gives hope for the future. It will be a better future than than Naomi thinks it will be. It it will be a, a future that she can't even imagine. That God is going to provide for her in ways that she can't even imagine. He'll work through the difficulties to provide hope for a better future. There may be times when we drift away from the Lord. There may be times when we blow it. We we do things that are dishonoring to God. We do. There may be years wasted. You may wonder if it's worth the effort to start moving in the right direction. It may look pretty hopeless. Even though the way looks difficult, each step of the way, God will provide. Whether it's a Ruth or whether it's a prospect of Barley harvest, arise, return. God can work to restore what has been taken away. He can work in the difficult circumstances to bless His people. He can work in ways that you cannot even imagine. Who would have thought that the dead line of Naomi, really it's the line of Elimelech, that that dead line could come to life, that there would be a child born, which is going to happen. And that line comes to life leads to King David. Look at the uh, genealogy at the end of, uh, of the book of Ruth. It leads to King David, which leads to Jesus Christ. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that God would have worked in this wonderful way for Naomi and for his people through her? Return. Repent. There's hope of a better future. Individual by the name of Norm faced a major decision in his life. He was trapped. He could take the stairway door to the rooftop of his New York City apartment and perhaps slip down the fire escape to freedom. Or he could walk through the front door where the authorities were waiting to arrest him for murder. He was tired. Tired of running, tired of hustling. He later admitted, I had nothing to show for the first 37 years of my life. He took a deep breath, stepped outside into the waiting arms of the police. He told them, I'm glad you caught me. I'm so tired of running. When he stopped running, his life really began. He became a Christian. It was difficult. But God supplied Everything that he needed. He'll do the same for you. He'll do the same for your family. Are you tired of running away? Drifting away? Stop running. Turn and come home. There's a merciful and gracious God. Probably pursuing you. But waiting with open arms. To receive you. Let's pray. Father, give us the courage, the courage to have faith, faith that you will provide everything that we need.
If any here are running from you this morning, we pray that you would use your word in their life. Bring them back. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you will be with us in every trial and trouble of life. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.